0: Welcome to the Advice and Insights Podcast with David L. Bonson.
1: Hello and welcome to this week's Advice and Insights Podcast. This is David Bonson, Managing Partner and Chief Investment Officer of the Bonson Group. And we are thrilled to come back with you with another week of our advice and our insights We uh, do have another special guest yet today. On the other end of this line is Kimberly Davis, Partner and Managing Director at the Bonson Group. Kimberly, say hello.
2: Hello, David, and hello, group out there.
1: All of these fine listeners. Yes, yes. So as you know, we, we set up 2018 to be a totally different year for the podcasting efforts of the Bonson Group. In addition to our weekly Dividend Cafe podcast, which continues to just sort of be a about a 10-minute weekly summary of our Dividend Cafe commentary brought to you in podcast form. We've added this Advice and Insights uh, podcast property to kind of do all kinds of new, creative, additive-type things. And last week, it was a lot of fun to have Peter Newell, our, our portfolio manager, at the Emerging Market Strategy that we use. We've had other members of the Bonson Group team uh, come, including partner Brian Saitel. We had one of the people in our investment solutions department, Daya Pranas, uh, already appear. You may recall Peter Van Verhees uh, interviewing me with all the questions that you uh, listeners presented to us. Well, this week I have partner Kimberly Davis on because I'm going to kind of talk to her about a few things, uh, not only in terms of her role at the Bonson Group and some of the things that she's working on, but a particular Subject that is uh, really at the heart not only of, of what Kimberly cares about passionately and has significant expertise and experience in, but has become a big part of the value proposition at the Bonson Group, a big market segment that we want to be able to fill uh, to continue adding value and creating resources um, in, in a particular space that I'm going to talk about in a few minutes. So for now, I got to leave you in suspense. Um, but I'm going to be engaging in that conversation with, with Kimberly. So that's sort of our subject here today. We encourage all of you listening to please subscribe to the Advice and Insights podcast. Review it if you have good things to say. Don't review it if you have bad things to say. And then um, uh, to tell your friends about it. So that's the goal. Okay, Kimberly. Why don't you give them a little background how you came about uh, coming to the Bonson Group?
2: Well, that was, um, it was somewhat of a circuitous route, but um, I was at Morgan Stanley as a, a financial advisor in the Irvine office. Prior to that, I had, uh, you know, been in the capital markets in, in the various careers. I was a corporate securities lawyer in New York and an investment banker, and then went on to be a CFO. Um, so went into wealth management at Morgan Stanley and um, found out there was a position open in the Bonson Group, for which I interviewed and joined the Bonson Group. Um, and that was in, I believe, January of 2014. And I was originally hired, and I continue to do so, to be uh, the financial planning uh at the time, I handled financial planning, and then I became the financial planning director. So that was how I came into your orbit, which um, I'm very happy and thankful for, because uh, it was a banner day for me. Because from then on, it's been uh, you know
1: full steam ahead. Well, in terms of that path, um, you you obviously came into the Bonson Group originally at Morgan Stanley, as you say, with a lot of experience. You you had already been in the professional world for, for quite some time and and had experienced a number of different aspects of career and so forth. Uh, tell me how those different kind of legal backgrounds and whatnot played into your work now as a financial advisor.
2: Well, you know, my background uh, through my career has allowed me to see many different aspects of not only uh, trans- transactional work, but just, you know, life in general. So as a lawyer, obviously, you know, I was prepared to understand the capital markets because I was a securities lawyer, but also contract law, uh, tax planning, I did a lot of tax law work for a while. So all of that helps me um, with respect to, you know, estate planning, income tax issues. Also, um, I now am a certified divorce financial analyst. So there's a lot of tax issues and estate planning issues and accounting issues uh, that come up, in addition to financial analysis, when you're trying to figure out the best way to split up assets, either in a mediation or in an actual, you know, if it goes to court, um, so I can consult on that. So that's one realm of what I do now. That's kind of evolved from my personal background, which, uh, which also involved um, a rather contentious divorce between two lawyers, myself and my ex-husband. So I I got a lot of practical on the ground. Uh, experience in that regard, so uh, that and then obviously, as a banker, you know uh, we did deals that involved the capital markets like stock offerings, bond offerings um, limited partnership offerings so all of those things are helpful in my day to day knowledge here at the Bonson group due to the various investment vehicles that we um, invest in so it was a it was a plethora of experience, but it kind of all led me into this realm of wealth management in a strange way because all of the topics that I addressed in, uh, an isolated way, either as a lawyer or a banker or CFO are all brought into the fold here as a wealth manager, um, and working with you. So, uh, it was, it's a great background for, I think what, what I currently do. And as I'm evolving into this, um, divorce analyst space, which is a kind of separate realm from my day-to-day wealth management, um, Experience and duties. Uh, it does. Uh, it does help. My my legal background helps quite a bit because um, I can now be a an analyst in mediation and in court cases. I can also be an expert witness. So those things are all fantastic.
1: So yeah, it's really interesting when you talk about the the kind of uh, capital markets overlap. And, and experience and and even though it's a, a different manifestation and the work that we're doing in capital markets, there was kind of that foundational understanding and background and the general sort of professional services aspect but one one thing I don't think I've ever asked you, and I think would be interesting for the listeners from the background of as, as a securities lawyer you you enter wealth Management, and as you now know, and maybe you knew before you were entering it, I sure didn't but um, we we have uh, an extremely relational business. It's very uh, human. We don't we don't day to day have the luxury of only dealing with the capital markets. We deal with the people that are invested in the capital markets and all the behaviors and attitudes and emotions and psychology that go therewith. Was that was that similar in your in your legal background, or do you find? wealth management to be uniquely human versus the legal world?
2: Well, again, I wasn't a family lawyer or, you know, uh, I was a. I worked in a big New York law firm for most of my career. So, you know, most of our clients were corporate clients and mainly um, my particular clients were usually underwriters. So, you know, they were the big investment banks. And uh, so there's not, you know, there's obviously humanity involved in that, but the decision-making is, is the thrust of it is corporate, um, you know, getting the business, getting the corporate business, whether you're going to be the IPO lead, so on and so forth. So all of that stuff was much more corporate oriented, um, you know, but when I had other careers, like as a CFO, I was, you know, I had 30 people report to me. So that was much more relational, but as an employee employer, Type situation. I think wealth management is unique in the sense that um, you can have an amazing knowledge of the capital markets. And as you well know, you can be an absolutely phenomenal um, portfolio manager. Uh, you know, there are a lot of guys who are hedge fund managers that maybe aren't doing the day to day interfacing with retail clients or clients like we have. But the behavioral aspect of this job is probably the thing I enjoy the most because I love dealing with people. And I think just helping people to understand the vagaries of the market, giving them comfort, giving them insight, knowing that we're here through thick and thin, always trying to make sure that we can get them to their end game and down the court, you know, without any, uh, you know, problems along the way or the least amount, you know, as possible. I enjoy that. So when I was originally thinking of what my, you know, what job I really wanted to kind of and my career on, I, I gravitated towards wealth management because I always felt that my people skills were underutilized in my other professions. And that is truly the part of my job that I, I love so much. And my clients, I, I, I think I have a really good relationship with most of my clients who uh, usually evolve into my friends. And we, you know, it's, it's just been extremely gratifying.
1: And so in terms of this sort of career evolution, maybe, is a better term than reinvention, because it kind of, from what you're saying, sort of evolved out of a lot of that background. Um, you had, I don't need to touch on it much, but I'll, I'll kind of include it in my recap. You, you have experience in real estate, entrepreneurial endeavors, um, obviously the legal and securities background. You come into wealth management, you meet this quirky guy at Morgan Stanley named David Bonson. Um, there's a team uh, once you join of nine people, and and so that that uh, kind of incubation into wealth management and and all the satisfying things it's proven to be begins, and and so I guess I would kind of ask you what were your thoughts at the time um, that that we began our migration into the fiduciary and independent world.
2: Well, I was very happy that we made that decision because as a lawyer, obviously we always function as fiduciaries. I mean, that is what lawyers are supposed to do. Um, and so that was always part of my DNA anyway. Um, and I know it was always part of your DNA, which is one of the reasons that I was really intrigued to join your group because, you know, you've always been your own portfolio manager even when we were back at Morgan Stanley and implicit in that is, you know, the duty of care that I know you've always, you've always, uh, used and the standard that you've set. So, I think, you know, if we're going to be in this business, we have to operate to the highest standard. We are, you know, dealing with people's money and they've worked long and hard to, to get that. And in this, and what is very, un, what I found very uncomfortable about this when I first joined Morgan Stanley, this profession was that it's a very uneven playing field. So people can call themselves wealth managers, financial advisors, whatever nomenclature you want to use. Um, in this profession, even if they're an insurance agent or they know nothing about portfolio management or they are operating to a very low standard of care, which is the suitability um, standard in most warehouses and uh, other types of non RIA situations. So for me, I felt really, I was really happy that we were going to just take a stand. And from now on, we were going to be contractually obligated to be fiduciaries, because that is the standard of care that every person who invests their money deserves. So as a former lawyer, and as somebody who Likes consistency in what we're talking about here. As what is a wealth manager? I think the fiduciary standard um, affords that to clients, and I think it's a real shame that um, you know that is not going to be put into law, and you know it's going to go back to the way it was, and same old, same old.
1: Well, and so you know, I I think on that topic we we have these debates internally and conversations and so forth, and obviously I'm a I advocated for some time and, and all of us at the Bonson group agree that you know if you need the the law to tell you to do the right thing then you may not be yeah. a really good person to begin with and so uh, and of course even if there was a law this idea of it the fiduciary standard only applying to retirement accounts and not applying to other accounts and seeing, I don't know you could argue it just adds to the confusion but then I look at what you're saying about the nomenclature the titles and and as you're saying it and the fact that you know your background as a lawyer can you imagine if there was this non-lawyer title out there called legal professional or legal advisor, but the person had never gone to law school or never passed the bar or wasn't held to a, any legal standard, but they can sort of hold themselves up as a kind of quasi-attorney um, without being one? It would seem to me they would they would be up in arms in the legal profession and 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 not just because of the potential Competition in the in the business. I don't think very many lawyers would be worried about a, a non lawyer competing to do legal work, but because of the confusion that it would represent to to clients and to consumers, and and so I think you bring up a great point that there's not only the standard of care and and the kind of culture and atmosphere that we care about, um, that as investment advisors that are held to a fiduciary standard, legally, morally. That, that it also it just has to do with clarity, creating you know less confusion for for those that we engage in the marketplace. Well, so
2: when we have a variety of prospective clients um, who come in here, and you know we get to see what's been going on with their portfolio prior to joining us, it's always interesting to see the variety of um, portfolios that come through the door with them and the perspective. So depending on who they've been. Being advised by um, it could be you know someone in the insurance world. It could be somebody at a big bank. It could be somebody who's at a wire house. All of those things influence the way in which their portfolios look when they come to the Bonson Group. And for example, if you're probably investing with somebody who's got an insurance bent, you're going to have annuities and various things in there that may and probably are not, probably are not appropriate for many of our clients. So this is what I mean by an uneven playing field. Um, I would argue that many of those people should not be referred to as wealth managers or financial advisors because the platform upon which they operate is selling product that is only the product that they have on their platform because it's either they're an insurance agent or they people are paying to play to be on their platform. And that is not operating in the best interest of the client. You cannot be a fiduciary under those circumstances. So I think the subtleties of that are lost on many people it's a complicated business. Most people watch TV, they see Schwab commercials, Fidelity commercials, you know, everything looks so simple, pick a few things and you've got a great portfolio. Uh, that's not the case. You know that I know that most of our clients now know that, but I think at first blush for most people, it's, um, subtle nuances that they don't understand and the fiduciary duty gets very lost in that. So, you know, they, they just assume that the people they're going to are operating in their best interest. And uh, I'm not saying these people are uh, Machiavellian, but I do believe there's a fair amount of self-interest and, uh, you know, upside to them in choosing certain things that are on their platform and, and or selling insurance or annuities that aren't necessarily needed, especially for certain ultra-high net worth individuals.
1: Well, and it's interesting how... how um the the product uh, selection changes so much when when people have a fiduciary standard that they're held to uh, when the compensation um, is only from the client and not from vendors or product manufacturers when the alignment of interest is economically set that way uh, your the whole relationship can change and so you know essentially the the or the movement into financial services for you from the legal background was somewhat organic and natural. The fiduciary language, the fiduciary thinking, was was already there. Um, and you join our group, um, and and immediately, of course, you know our our group goes through this transition. We're, our business is growing. We're we're continuing to wrestle with you know the day to day challenges in capital markets, day to day challenges our clients have. But along the way, you, you started to almost sort of introspectively discover a real passion that you had that maybe you didn't know would translate into, into our business. And, and it's something now that you're cultivating and expanding upon. And and so I would, I would love for you to just kind of share with the listeners how this concept of fiscal feminist came to be, what it means, and just sort of set that table a little bit.
2: Well, over the past few years, um... You know, I've I've come in contact with a lot of women who have become our clients, my clients, through, you know, our group's clients. And they all have, many of them have, you know, various stories to tell. Some became widows suddenly. Um, they had experienced divorces uh, that were complicated and or brutal. Um They are professional women who are very busy, who might be moms and professional women, so they don't have a lot of time. And one of the things that I noticed again and again was a lot of women do not consider um, knowledge about this field, about the financial area, about their finances to be a priority in their life. Um, and I, you know, hand to heart with all of my experience, I would be someone that you would think would always have that to be a priority, but I also, um, was a stay at home mom for a long time. Um, I was married to somebody who was in private equity, so he had a very demanding job and, you know, I got very caught up in obviously my family's life and then I did have professional pursuits. So then there was my family's life and my professional pursuits. So Watching, being a guardian of my own finances was often put on the back burner and um, I didn't keep my eye on the ball and my ex-husband handled many of those things because I was busy dealing with the family and so on and so forth, which is a very laudable thing to spend your time doing. My point now is um, you never know how life's going to turn out. I wasn't prepared and then I went through a very contentious divorce that went on and on for years and in the end, I did not come out um, very financially whole. And it was, um, a very trying experience for my children and myself because I had various, uh, three kids in college and private school and so on and so forth. So what, you know, I learned from that was I needed to, I should have been more vigilant. If only I had done X, Y, and Z, I probably would have been more aware during the divorce proceedings of things that I needed to think about and concepts that now I'm very familiar with, but weren't at the time. And my lawyers weren't really able to counsel me on that because they're lawyers. They're not financial people. Um, so the basic premise of what I want to bring to all women, um, whether you're married, whether you're a wife, a mother, a professional woman, single, single mother, whatever your, your, your status in life is, is that we... Um, are all in charge of our, uh, we're all responsible for ourselves. And even though we may be in a good marriage or we may feel like we have a lot of security, things can happen in a life. And if we're not aware of all the financial decisions that have been made on our behalf, um, it could be very, very detrimental to our long term financial health. And preventative measures, just like if you go to the doctor um, as a woman to get, you know, a mammogram or all these things that we do to prevent getting sick and leaving our families, you need to make at least being knowledgeable of your finances and getting the whole picture a priority. Because if you don't, the very people that you care about so much, maybe your children could be negatively influenced by your lack of um, proactive measures. So my goal is to help women understand all the various things um, out that they should be thinking about, checking on, having knowledge about. It doesn't mean that you don't love your husband or you're, you know, like you're spending your time uh, doing this and you should be doing something else. This is, this should be a a top priority. So that's the thrust of uh, what the fiscal feminist is all about. It's about taking responsibility as you, as a woman for your finances, or at least being knowledgeable of what other people are deciding on your behalf.
1: So so I am going to probably ke- catch you off guard a little with some questions because we didn't prep, we didn't practice, and we did it on purpose. We want this sort of organic conversation. This stuff is so valuable, Kimberly. You know I believe that. I know you believe it. I want our listeners to understand how serious we are uh, about the importance of this topic. But one of the things I find really interesting is that You've done other interviews that that I've heard. You and I, of course, have, have talked about all this for for countless hours, and a lot of the 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 um, catalyst and and a lot of the context center around bad things happening in someone's life where they expose someone to being unprepared, and so they're and probably most commonly it's either a death or a divorce. I'm sure. We could think of other instances as well. And so there's sort of this kind of crisis management that that is uh, often present when we're talking about the fiscal feminist and the notion of responsibility and preparedness rather for for women that whether they're professional women or, or not. Let me let me ask you this though, changing gears from the death and divorce categories of things, What do you see, just for a a woman who maybe is not facing, imminently anyways, some of those kind of um, catastrophic events, but rather is just in their day-to-day mode, not really engaged with the finances, Uh, things seem to be going well, they're happily married, kids are fine, whether they're little kids or maybe getting ready to be grown kids and future empty nester, you know, what have you. I'm just more wondering... Where does the fiscal fe- what does the fiscal feminist have to say to someone when things are normal, when they're not in the the death and divorce category of things? Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, and actually, the point is is that I want to talk to all these people before they're in the death and divorce scenario, you know, like when everything is fine, because I think I want women to give themselves permission to feel a little uncomfortable about thinking about financial affairs. A lot of women are very adept at financial affairs and they think about them. It's not all women, but I know a lot of people in general, not just women, uh, you know, they're in denial. They just don't want to think about it. It's, it's boring. It's worrying or it's just something they don't, you know, we have our mindset about finances set from a very early age. Um, I think a lot of women, you know, grew up in families where the family, thinking about finances was set and that was their paradigm and that's what their example has been. And so they kind of follow suit. So I want to empower women and I want to give them permission to start taking responsibility for themselves, even when they're in a perfectly happy uh, sunshine and lollipop situation, which I think the best time to take care and make preventative act, take preventative action is when you are in a copacetic point in your life. Um, You know, every time we go to the doctor to have a checkup, hopefully we're healthy. We're going to make sure that we, you know, we don't have a tumor or we don't have some horrible thing. It's just a preventative checkup. And that's all this really is, is if if you are in a, you know, I've had a couple of professional women come in who um, are in a good situation. They've made a lot of money. They don't have any children. Maybe they haven't been married. So they are solvent. Um, And then some by a lot. But they haven't spent any time really thinking about their money. Uh, it's been sitting in cash or it's in 15 different accounts or they haven't really thought about a strategy and, and maybe they're pushing 60 and now they're finally thinking about it. Look at that lost opportunity of not really having dug down a little bit or just, you know, really had some knowledge about the best way to go further than they have. They would have had a lot more money at this point. But to your point of, you know, maybe someone who's in a, very happy marriage and busy with the children and so on and so forth. I don't want to be a disruptor of that. You know, um, I firmly believe that having a family is well for me, having my children was the best thing I ever did in my life. Um, So I have no regrets on that, on that front, but I routinely would sign tax returns and not really read them because I was so busy when my husband was, you know, handling that because I was just busy with the children, busy with whatever job I was doing. And I just, I put trust in that and I, you know, I'm not saying that he did anything that was, uh, you know, surreptitious, but it would have been to my benefit to be fully knowledgeable of what was going on. And, you know, in, you could be very happily married and something could happen where your husband just dies suddenly. And in that circumstance, you want to be, you want to be as a woman, the fiduciary for your family. You want to be able to take your family forward and not from a position of fear or not knowing and having to rely on a lot of other people to tell you what's up. Because at that point, you need to be in control. You're going to be very upset about the situation. You're going to be emotionally drained. And yeah, you might not want to be thinking about that those particular issues at the time, but in a short time frame, you will. And it would be way better for you and your family as their new fiduciary to be knowledgeable. So- you know life is a very complex thing it's not linear and it doesn't mean that you love your husband less or you're less of a woman in any way by stepping up to take ownership of something that could affect the long term uh quality and security of your life and your children's
1: well i think i think when you um first of all the idea about um Marriage, when things are sunshine and lollipops, I think was your expression. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd be curious to interview how many of our married listeners describe it as sunshine and lollipops every day. But I'm sure my wife would. But anyway, I know she would. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it seems to me that you you make a really important point. There's um, a lot of needs for a prepared woman financially. We talk about this concept of fiscal feminist when those catastrophes come, but what you want to do is is be sort of um, preventative, pre- pre- create kind of um, uh, best practices and behaviors and resources that will enable people to not get to the point where all of a sudden there is a death or divorce and, and they're finding themselves needing to to catch up financially. And so it's not just remedying when things have gone astray financially, but it's also helping to kind of prevent that from happening to begin with. And
2: one example, uh, not that, to interrupt you, ahead. but one example I think that um, I spoke to Christy Lewis about um, when I d- interviewed her and she's an estate attorney uh, here in Orange County who's, um has great practice and she's a very competent uh, lawyer. We spoke about cohabitation agreements and that's a very interesting thing because a You know, generally when you start into a relationship, many people can be young or they could be someone who's been recently divorced or a widow, new brand new day. Over time, you heal your wounds and, you know, you go on to live with somebody before you get married. Um, And at that point, while things are good that would be a perfect time to have a cohabitation agreement. Certainly for somebody who's divorced with assets or a widow with assets, um, they may move in with somebody. And the law, you know, may not be black and white in this area, but it can go down a strange path. So you, I would suggest at that point, while everything is good, you have – written up a cohabitation agreement, which if you eventually get married can morph into a prenup. So then you don't really have to have a full blown prenup meeting at that point um, to kind of, you know, lessen the romantic aspect of getting engaged. Um, but that's something you did proactively while everybody was happy, had a clear head, nobody had a beef with each other. And you just, you know, you got the uh, agreement done and it's done and dusted. It's sitting there and put in a drawer and that's the end of it, unless you need it.
1: Well, and so there's a lot of uh, integration then, isn't there? Maybe talk a little bit about Fiscal Feminist. Don't don't use any names of our particular partners for this, but maybe talk a little bit about um, how Fiscal Feminist will be integrating with some of our FCS partners, uh, our financial concierge services, because there's legal, there's accounting, there's bookkeeping, there's insurance, there's all these different um, practitioners that may be a part of the process. Maybe speak to that a little bit.
2: Exactly. So certainly, you know, estate planning, which um, – and planning, uh, business planning, estate and business planning, but estate planning will involve not only setting up separate property trusts for um, whether you're a man or a woman for assets that you've uh, had prior to marriage and how that should be set up so that you can ring fence those during marriage and um, anything that those assets reap. Um, there will be uh, prenups, postnups, um, also the insurance world. Um, you know, whether you need life insurance, certainly, um, if you have been divorced, you may need to get some insurance to protect any sort of alimony payment or something to that nature. Um, also, I mean, things as basic, not basic, but things as essential as property insurance, health insurance, all of those things, um, are very important. We will also be addressing social security because as women, and men get older, um, whether they remain married or they get divorced, social security is an issue they need to be aware of, Medicare, um, also tax accounting. I would also like to um, speak to some of our partners that are uh, business uh, lawyers, you know, there will be certain women that I wanna address issues of, uh, concerning entrepreneurial endeavors, starting businesses, all the things involved in that. Um, And, and then also, you know, tax, tax accounting, because everyone needs to be, you know, um, abreast of what's going on with that these days. So all of those various and sundry, you know, topics filter into this. Um, It's not just about uh, death and divorce. It's, it's also about everyday living and all the things that come into that. But I I do want to focus too on Things like uh, women who are professional women decide they want to take some time off to have a, a child or get married. Things you need to think about before you get married. If you're going to take some time off uh, to have a child, what should you think about? You know, you're going to stop contributing to your 401k. What are the ramifications of that? Things to consider because you no longer be doing that. What are other things you should be thinking about? Uh, what's the cash flow analysis on the effects of that? And so on and so forth.
1: And and so basically, when you take this passion, uh, somewhat biographically created um, and somewhat now kind of added to intellectually, as you've learned more and more and, and have combined your skill set and knowledge with your, your background and your awareness of the need um, with so many women, uh, and then integrate that into the profession of wealth management, integrate into the process at the Bonson Group. Um, you see this as as seamless. Do you see this as a real natural um, evolution and and process for uh, applying it on behalf of our clients? Yes,
2: because um, one of the things I really want to do too is you know hold workshops, roundtables, seminars for our clients and prospective clients if they're interested on a variety of topics that would, you know, be interesting to them. Uh, there is, you know, for example, discussion of the fiduciary duty. What does that mean as far as wealth management goes and portfolio management? That's something all people, but since I'm addressing women, women should be aware of whether they're choosing their financial advisor or they're choosing it with their husband. Uh, they need to know what they should be looking for and what the standard of care should be. And obviously we have our own, uh, Philosophy, investment philosophy, but you know what? Do, what do some of those basic concepts about risk management involve, and so on and so forth? So I would like to go down that path, and also uh, maybe you know discussing other types of investments. Uh, you know, art as an investment. Uh, you know, things that are a little bit off the spectrum, but that I think um, many women could have an interest in. So I think I I think there's a real uh, natural kind of a simpatico uh, aspect with our current clients as to a value added and having also an opportunity for maybe clients, women clients to uh, sit around and discuss issues that they are concerned about that we could possibly address as well. I would like to get feedback from um, people that read the Fiscal Feminist blog and um, other people who just want to send me some questions about topics they would like me to address as well.
1: Well, and, and let me let me say a couple of comments for, for listeners right now, because um, we we had significant amounts of of women clients, sometimes that were themselves widows or divorcees, um, sometimes that had had liquidity events out of successful businesses, you know, all sorts of different backgrounds. We have these situations even before uh, Kimberly was at the Bonson Group, and let alone before Kimberly became a partner in in the company. Yet, what I think is really different here is the fact that Kimberly is applying a particular passion. You know, I have a very strong passion for financial organization, for financial health and wellness, for investment excellence. And I have that passion for people of all, you know, genders and demographics and, and so forth and so on. And as does Kimberly, of course, and all of our partners and team members. But but I think what, what we gain at the Bonson Group around this um, additive element that Kimberly's been describing for you all today, the fiscal feminist, is a, a level of empathy, a level of, of connectivity that that we didn't have before. Um, I, I fancy myself as a very diligent person, and I and I am a very caring person, but I haven't lived the life Kimberly's lived. I didn't have those same experiences, and try as I may, um, I'm not able to necessarily connect in the in the same way. And so, I think that this represents a whole new dimension of value, not just resourceful uh, education in that that category. But I think value in terms of the experience that can be presented for for our clients. And so I could not be more excited about the Fiscal Feminist because I believe that that it represents something that now can be done um, really at a whole other level and and hopefully create value for clients and and represent um, the filling of a gap that exists in the wealth management space. Uh, it is it is really exciting. So so Kimberly, I'm going to leave with a couple exit questions for you. Um, first of all, let me thank you for joining us today. Thank you for your uh, innovation and and heart for what we're attempting to do in in the fiscal feminist uh, program and and platform. Um, I certainly thank our listeners for listening. But now the fun part.
2: First, I want to thank you, David, Please. for being just a fantastic. Uh, I don't know, mentor. I suppose I, you know, I've been very blessed to be part of this group, so it's been great.
1: Well, the feelings mutual. We, uh, for those of you who don't know, we we are a family at the Bonson Group. We have a very tight knit group of people. There's 16 of us in total. There are a handful of partners that represent the leadership group of the company, and then we have an incredible team. We have department directors, and we have, you know, obviously all of our employees and staff, but everybody fighting for the common good each and every day. Our theme for the year is that we're always representing the values and the goals that we have as an organization. And so Kimberly is uh, saying nice things about me. I could say all those nice things about her right back and about everyone else in our team. And if we did have a person who didn't represent our values, we would take away their parking pass. So, <laughs> at, the <very> I, <laughs> me,
2: at the very
1: least. At the very least. Kimberly, tell me this. What is one thing about the managing partner at the Bonson Group that our listeners may not know that you think they should know?
2: Uh, Well, one thing I can say, hand to heart, is that we all, I don't think any of us are doing very well in our brackets, so
1: our March Madness brackets. (laughs) So don't don't put any money on us. I I will say this, this without saying names. We do have a couple of money managers. I'm not going to say any names or companies that were involved in the bracket as well. And since they're tied with my first grade son in their brackets, I don't think anyone at the Bonson Group has done as poorly as them. So between the wealth management side and asset management side, good thing we're dealing with stocks and bonds yeah, and not we, basketball Yeah, we aren't going to Vegas
2: anytime else. soon to yes. do lots. but anyway. Uh, oh, gosh. Well- as a partner in the Bonson Group, I would just say it's um, it's a, just a very familial setting. I feel very close to the people that I work with, and um, it's I I never I always look for I always look forward to coming into the office. I don't ever you know dread coming in or oh I don't want to go to work. I like coming into the office. We are a really good team. Each of us has a really particular. Uh, point of view, and it all kind of comes together very nicely. And um, it truly, I, I know this sounds kind of, you know, like I'm, I don't know, just oversaying it, but it is truly a pleasure to come to work to, every day. It's great.
1: Well, I will echo that sentiment. Um, Both Kimberly and I are very blessed, very privileged to work for our clients, to work in capital markets, the greatest business in the world. And we're blessed where we do it, who we do it for. So rather than continue with this sappy, (laughs) sentimental exit, we'll, we'll wrap things up. Thank you to the fiscal feminist, Kimberly Davis. Thank you. Thank you to all of you listening. And we'll look forward to another issue of advice and insights. Spread the word. Thank you, David.
0: Thank you for listening to our Advice and Insights podcast with David L. Bonson. The Bonson Group is registered with High Tower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC and with High Tower Advisors LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through High Tower Securities LLC. Advisory services are offered through High Tower Advisors LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk The team in Hightower shall not be in any way liable for claims and make no express or implied representations or warranties as the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information reference herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates.